Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a powerful collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. And today we're talking about boosting your career and making your mark with Renee Gilbo. Renee Gilbo is a veteran food industry consultant with expertise in large-scale, global, multi-unit food and beverage operations. Before launching her consulting firm, SAA Food Consulting, she held leadership roles at Pret-a-Manger, Bon Appetit Management Company at Google, Compass Group, and Le Pen Quotidien, where she was instrumental in developing revolutionary menus and executing high-volume strategies all over the world. Additionally, Renee held a role in the Los Angeles Food Policy Council Leadership Board and its coordinating committee for five years in support of her commitment to a more just and sustainable food system for all. And she's worked as a board advisor to both regional food system projects and private sector efforts. In her latest book, A Taste of Opportunity, Renee shares her personal story of climbing the ladder from high school dropout to now world food leader. We are so excited. Please help us welcome Renee Gilbo. Hello. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here. We are just so excited to share your journey with our listeners. Um, We have a copy of your book. We've been smitten. And so we're ready to dive in. Um, I just want to preface for our listeners right now. I know you can't see Renee, but we're all looking at Renee, Grace and I, and she's in front of this massive Scrabble board. So that's just something that we're all having a little giggle about. And we're going to talk about later on. I think we're all Scrabble word nerds here. So. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> it may end up coming up. All right. So we're going to start right at the beginning, Renee. Um, you know, obviously we're thrilled to have you here with us, but you've had such a journey to get to where you are now. So we'd love if you can share how the world of food was something that you became so immersed in. Yeah. Well, that's a really great question. I mean, some of my earliest memories are all wrapped around food and beverage and the experiences that happen just, you know, in the course of day-to-day life. And I think I really started to recognize that I wanted to make that a part of my everyday experience um, because it brought joy and it, it just kind of brought comfort and connection. And I just loved those moments. So, um, you know, as I was kind of recognizing that in my early years, I didn't really know that you could have a career in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were kind of obvious jobs you could have, like become a chef or a restaurateur, but there was this whole other side of food that I didn't really know anything about or had any sort of sense that it even existed. And so that was just a really a journey of discovery. Um, you know, as, as we often do, right. We just walk through it and suddenly, mm-hmm. oh, that's what that is. So that's how it all started for me. Oh, wow. Now in your book, you share about how you went from high school dropout to world food leader and how the crummy jobs lay the foundation for your career. And I guess everybody else's career, really. Um, <laughs> can you share some of the skills and benefits they provided for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really important to clarify that when we're talking about the crummy jobs that we all went through, it's crummy with a B, kind of like how a trail of breadcrumbs leads you to, you know, the right place, not like Hansel and Gretel where, you know, you end up (laughs) in the oven. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that really these jobs are incredible opportunities to gain skills and knowledge and experience and to build relationships. And that, you know, we don't really talk about these entry-level jobs as an opportunity to gain the skills that will lead us into management and into more senior roles. But that's really what these jobs offer. And so it's really exciting when you look at it that way. And I wish more people talked about these jobs that way, because the skills you do learn on the job will set you up for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Actually, we both have um, teenage children at the moment who are just venturing into the workforce. And we were just having this conversation recently talking about how, you know, the skills that they're going to be learning starting out are going to help them for the rest of their lives. So um, it is so important. And I'm I'm really glad that you do touch on that in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share a couple of the jobs that, you know, looking back, you think you learned the most from or wow, so glad you're not doing that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the, the biggest job that I had that I really, really worked hard to achieve, uh, was becoming an executive chef. I, I really thought that that's how I wanted to spend my career. And I made a pretty big kind of mid career pivot. I was in my almost mid twenties and I decided to go to culinary school after seven years in the kind of climbing the ranks and purchasing side of food. And I just thought when I get to this, you know, goal that, you know, everything will kind of be how I want it to be. But I didn't really recognize the fact that if I was going to be the executive chef of a very busy restaurant operation um, that served dinners and holidays and weekends and brunch, that I was likely not going to have any sort of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I had to live in order to understand that. And then I kind of thought, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble because I've just spent all these years trying to achieve this goal. And this is my dream job and I hate it. You know, what do I do? But, you know, these are the things that you have to learn about yourself. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Experiential learning. It's the worst, but also the best. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's how humans learn, right? Yes. Through adversity. Yeah. And we all, I mean, you look at people's careers these days anyway, we all change careers multiple times and we all end up in different directions from where we started anyway. And it's just being able to accept that and learn from that experience and take Mm -hmm. it with you onto the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love too. you know, we, we follow some really amazing women online and, and one of our, I'm just one of our good friends, um, Sarah, Nicole, the bird's papaya, actually every couple months we'll share These are all the crummy jobs that I've had along the way. You see me now as this successful, you know, overnight 20 year in the making success, but there were a lot of jobs along the way, including waitress, you know, um, janitor or whatever it is. And so what I love is that these jobs can teach you so many things, um, to help you along the road. And I, I love that you highlight so many different options in your book. So since we're on the topic of your book, what was it like writing this? You know, how this seems like it was a, a labor of love for you. Um, can you talk about the process a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I um I knew that I wanted to write a book that would be meaningful and provide 
you know, a, a kind of a beacon of hope in the world for what was possible, what, what somebody could achieve. Because, you know, I don't I think in any way that I'm some sort of like, you know, different kind of a person. I just, you know, walked through it and largely, you know, didn't quit or stayed longer than maybe others would in certain jobs um, and, and really found that I was passionate about what I was doing. And I think that resiliency, you know, created a career that I could never have planned. And so when I was thinking about how this book could impact other people, I really wanted to share how imperfect the journey is and how we all learn by doing. And that's actually the journey of life. And it's very much also the journey of careers. I mean, I could probably list on one hand, the people that I know who I've known since they were children who actually ended up in the professions they thought they would be, you know, when they were four. So I think it's much more normal to not know and to figure it out and to take the power that comes with not knowing and paying attention to yourself and then finding those clues along the way that just get you closer and closer to that dream job. So when I decided to write this book, it was during my maternity leave. Um, I have a now just turned four-year-old daughter. And I knew that the only way I was going to be able to write this book would be when I wasn't, you know, working my grind day to day. Um, And it was the perfect time to just kind of pause and think about, you know, what had I achieved and accomplished at that point? And what were all the lessons that I would want to share um, to provide somebody else an opportunity to think bigger about their own lives or what was possible? So I wrote this book in the middle of the night while I was, you know, nursing my daughter and, um, And it was really a labor of love. And I was really committed to making sure that there was something that was shining an opportunity side of our industry out in the world. And um, so so kind of bringing it into life was at a really sweet time for me um, because of, you know, being able to pause and, you know, focus on raising my daughter and also writing this. So that's, that's basically probably more than you wanted to know, but that's that's how this book came to be. I love I, that. I, I, I really do. And so one of the things you talk about is having support and mentors and how important, how key they are. Can you share a little bit about Peabod and what it is and how it's helped you? Yeah, absolutely. So Peabod, get your Peabod together means get your personal board of directors together because, you know, everybody at every level of career needs to have somebody to check their thinking, to tell them the truth, you know, to tell them the hard truth, the things we don't want to hear, um, to help broaden our perspectives and give us a chance to grow and stretch our thinking. And so really recognizing that, you know, there is no such thing as a lone wolf in business or in life and holding the people, um, you know, that you value that have invested in you close and keeping those relationships, you know, ongoing and making sure that you take the time to continue to invest in them because, Those are the relationships that will keep you upright in the harder moments. And those are the people that will call you to your best self and teach you what's possible. And so I talk about Peabot a lot because I think whether it's writing this book, like I had an amazing book coach who helped me through the process because I knew I don't know anything about writing a book. I'm a food person. I know about writing training manuals, but if I'm going to write a book, I want to have somebody who knows how to write a book guiding me through the process so that I do this in the best way that I possibly can. So, you know, thank God for Jenny Nash, the best book coach in the world. And she Mm -hmm. became a part of my Peabot during this chapter of my career, you know, and, and that's, I think the importance of, of kind of developing this, you know, sort of 
group of advocates and um, folks who will continue to support you because it does make you better professional. And it also gives you the community that you need to keep persevering. Mm-hmm. I just think it's such a great term to Peabody. Yeah. And it's something that you can, you can remember, but you know, for anyone listening, how do you go about any tips you can share for someone who thinks, okay, sure. That sounds great for me, but where the heck do I find these people? How do I know they're the right person yeah. for my bra? Absolutely. Well, I think they're already there. I mean, everybody will have either a teacher or a parent or even a friend's parent or a mentor or somebody who they've always trusted um, that they feel comfortable with um, to tell the things that aren't perfect, you know, Mm -hmm. like not the scary boss who you think is judging your every move, um, who you kind of hide things from, or you show them like a perfect picture of whatever is (laughs) happening. That's not really what's going on. Um, but really the people that you tell, um, you know, the things that are really hard for you to, and they support you through that, they reveal themselves over time. It's just your opportunity to pay attention to who they are and to continue to nurture and foster those relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Now, do you, do you notice that women tend to be less comfortable developing this um, personal border directors? I find that as women, we always struggle I, maybe men find it a little bit e- more easier. I don't know. Do you notice that in? You know, you I think are? it's a really interesting question. I think it's for, for many different reasons. And that's a really complex, you know, conversation and we can yeah. get into that a little bit, but I think for many reasons, women are less willing to share the things that they don't do perfectly because quite often we feel like we have to do twice, twice as well and twice as much for half the credit and half the reward. I mean, I was just having this conversation with my husband the other day that, you know, I'm, why am I worth 82 cents to your dollar? You know, I would really love any sort of logical explanation to that in the year of 2023. Um, You know, and I think it's just, it makes a lot of sense that people might hesitate to reach out, but the truth is that leadership and people who are authentic leaders are really going to value and receive that information well and want to help and support you. They're not going to mock you or fall on the floor or say, you know, you're an idiot or you're not a professional. They're actually probably much more likely to say, wow, I, I can actually help this person and I'm going to do that or connect yeah. you with somebody who can or do something. So I would say if you feel hesitant to reach out, you know, first, again, look at who's already in your circle that you already share these things with in a very like informal kind of a way, and then see if you can share more and get more information and really develop that relationship. You know, this isn't a one-way relationship. They're going to get something out of this too. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to share institutional knowledge and all of your hard-earned wisdom and pass it on and see somebody else succeed and thrive. And Mm -hmm. I think it's human nature. We all want people to win, right? So I would just, you know, I would really check in and ask yourself what, what's holding you back and how can you reframe that so -hmm. that you can pursue the support you need. And I I just, I'm going to make a mention because like we said, the, the name of your book is called a taste of opportunity. And really essentially that's what we're talking about is all these different opportunities that can present your, you know, to you as a person on your journey, whatever your journey is. Um, And I love, I love that you talk in your book about saying yes to opportunities, even when you didn't know what the outcome would be. And I think that's so important. Is that something I want to touch on that a little bit? Because is that something that you feel has really resonated with how you've come along your journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have 
failed, you know, catastrophically, enormously, big time, whatever, um, you know, many times or what I would consider that, you know, in my worst days when the little voice on my shoulder is, you know, very mean. Um, and I think I'm, I'm so grateful for having this kind of like, you know, high tolerance for humiliation, or at least in my own head and saying, you know, even if this doesn't work out, at least I tried, right. At least I will never look back on my life and regret not doing it. Even if I suck at it, even if it's like the worst of the worst, at least I tried. And then I know, and I think the deeper regret is not trying and always wondering or questioning what would have happened if you hadn't been afraid to move to that new city, or if you hadn't been afraid to take that bigger role, even though you really didn't know anything about what you would do. Um, and I, and I think, yeah, saying yes to opportunities is really a way to say no to fear and to figure it out along the way. And I think we often forget that we're all just winging it all of the time, yeah. you know, like that's what everybody's doing. So yeah. if you can lean into an opportunity that you don't know the outcome for, just go for it. And if you fail big time, who cares? Pivot and keep Move going. Up. The sun yeah. will come out tomorrow and we will carry on. So that's, yeah. that's the message. Why I is it? That. I just, why is it that we all think no one else is going through the crappy stuff? We just think it's us. It's only us. I must be the only one going through. Yeah. The only one with that voice, that whisper in the back of my head telling me that I'm not very good or whatever. We all experience (laughs) it. The voice is going to be so mean. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I know. The other thing I really love about the book is that you have included the journey of 15 other world world leaders, food leaders. Um, And so why was that important for you um, uh, to to include them in the book? It's exactly why uh, what we were just talking about, because we have to debunk these myths that we tell ourselves that anybody anywhere else had it easier than we did, or somebody else magically appeared in their CEO role and that they didn't, you know, have epic failures or career pivots or learn hard lessons or deal with challenging bosses or difficult colleagues. You know, everybody has their story. And when I was done writing the book, I thought, you know, I'm just one voice with one story wouldn't this be so much more powerful if I could, you know, link videos through the book with QR codes to all these other leaders talking about their own career journeys and how they went from early childhood and made their decisions and what they learned, their leadership insights, their career insights, and just kind of open the door and debunk all of the, you know, expectation setting that somebody had it perfect and it all went, you know, to plan. Oh, and it was all linear, right? Like it was just a straight trajectory upwards. And, and it's just such a powerful, amazing group of, you know, big hearted professionals who all said, yeah, I want to swing this door open too. And they were willing to share their hard-earned, you know, wisdom and experiences. And I just, I think the book is amazing because of them, honestly. And those videos are phenomenal. And it's exciting that you can share all that in one place. You know, I, I think of, you know, my niece and nephew, my own children, friends, children um, who are exploring opportunities right now. And so just being able to have very frank conversations like you have in your book, I think is so powerful for anyone who is looking to kind of go outside the mold and try something new and see if they will succeed or fail. Um, I want to touch on this one section of your book because 
it it really struck me. Um, it's called Sometimes the Asshole Isn't Who You Think It Is. And the opening sentence is, it needs to be said that there is a big difference between a toxic culture and a demanding culture. And I that just hit me like a rock. So can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, it's really important to articulate expectations and, you know, drive the point home that you can have the highest expectations and demand the highest quality, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that your expectation setting and standard setting. And, you know, I think the difference between the two is really important and mm-hmm. often anything hard can sometimes automatically get lumped in. Therefore it's bad for me, but those kind of high demand, high performing cultures really grow and stretch people into, you know, better professionals Agreed. into, you know, better talents, better capabilities. Um, I would say even like higher levels of emotional, emotional intelligence and like EQ mastery, like so many things are unlocked when you push yourself. And so I look at that as a gift and as an opportunity, not as a negative, but there is a fine line there. And so, you know, you have to be careful about it, right? Because if it's toxic, it's toxic, but if it's high performance, that's being demanded, that's different. Yeah. I love the differentiation that you talk about in the book. And I I think that's an incredibly important aspect, especially now when, you know, we're looking at social media and, and just, there's so many outside forces coming at you. And so to be able to distinguish between what's demanding and what's toxic and understanding the two is, I think is just, it's a really great part of the book that I wanted to make sure we highlighted because it's very important. Yeah, this I I really in the wisdom and the mindset, the the perspective that you bring, is um is key, and I love it. So thank you. Well, yeah, absolutely, and thanks for highlighting that piece because I think it's not often enough discussed these days. You know, I think there's there's a lot of really good conversation around how resilience can be sort of like a toxic form of acceptance, right? Like it mm-hmm. shouldn't have to be hard. Um, and I think that while there's truth to that, the truth is what we talked about right at the beginning of, of this conversation is that that's how we grow. You know, yeah. unfortunately, that is the plight of humans and how we learn. We learn through adversity, we learn through experience, and we often learn more from the things that don't go well or to mm-hmm. plan than we do from the things that are just effortless and easy and go to plan. Yeah, and so true. to, to positively frame that experience, I think is a real also opportunity for us to say, you know what, I'm learning something, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of taking that for yourself. It really can help you get through some harder moments and also serve yourself. And I mean, ultimately it's a very selfish act, right? <laughs> because you are in service to yourself when you're growing and stretching and learning. Yes. Yeah. Oh no, there's so many great points that you touch on and I'm so excited. So for anyone who's listening, the book is A Taste of Opportunity, An Insider's Guide to Boosting Your Career, Making Your Mark and Changing the Food Industry from Within. But obviously there's so many great lessons in here that apply even outside of the food industry. We've, you know, so many fantastic conversations. Um, and like Grace said, you know, the, just the mindset piece that you talk about. So please go find that. Now we're not done yet, Renee. We before we head into our rapid fire, super, you know, intense session. No, I'm <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> not to freak okay. you out. Um, but we'd love to know what's next for you before we head into that portion. Yeah, um, that's that's a great question. Well, I have another book coming out actually next week oh, on nice. the much more tactical side of the food world. Um, it's a it's a menu systems book because the number one question I get asked from all of my clients is how do I design the perfect menu. And I always laugh about this because I think it's a big question for everybody everywhere. And, um, you know, it's, we think a menu is probably a curated list of dishes, right? But it's actually not, it's a complete financial system. So that book's coming out next and we've developed all of these wonderful tools and training programs around them. Um, so you can check out my website at saafoodconsulting.com or to make it easier to remember a taste of opportunity.com and see all of the wonderful things that we're up to over there. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, we've talked to a few authors and it's no easy feat to write a book and you've just got another one coming. No biggie. <laughs> <laughs> Middle of the night. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's so exciting. All right. Well, we'll definitely be looking for that. We are going to head into um, some other questions before we close out, just so our listeners can get to know a little bit more about you. Um, And like we said, we're going to talk a little bit about Scrabble. So Grace, you want to kick off with the first question? I do. And because you're in food, I would love to know what is your favorite thing to make? Oh my gosh. You know, that question is like asking me who my favorite child is, even though (laughs) I only have one. Um, But, you know, I think the thing that I love to make the most right now is really like slow, comforting chicken soup. Mm -hmm. Um, that's really, it's just, I think a representation of the times and, you know, kind of coming out the other side of a very long, cold winter, but just the simmering bones, the way the house smells up, you know, and just the satisfaction that goes with having like a gorgeous soup with the crusty bread and beautiful butter and cheese. So that's right now, that's what's on my mind. (laughs) It's on mine now too. (laughs) You're speaking my language. I could eat soup for every meal actually. So Oh, okay. Perfect. I love that. If you had one, what would your theme song be? Oh my gosh. If I had one, I mean, I love notorious B.I.G. So I think it would be hypnotized, you know, <laughs> That's because, awesome. I mean, I could just, yeah, I could hear it in my head. Totally. I love it. That's not what I was expecting at all. <laughs> I yeah, love it's it. a good one. Good choice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to jump on then to the next one. Where is your favorite place in the world to visit? Ooh, my favorite place in the world to visit right now is probably Switzerland. Um, you know, it's a beautiful country. I, I had the pleasure of living there for several years. It's actually where my daughter was born and it's really wonderful to be in, in a, in a country that has so much nature and just the beautiful hiking trails and, um, you know, the access to the most beautiful spaces in the world. Grindelwald, I think is just magical. So if, if, if I was going to pick the first thing that popped in my mind, it would be Switzerland right now. Oh my gosh. I love it. The cows have bells. Yes, (laughs) they do. I know. I remember watching a documentary on it. I mean, we actually visited as well, uh, with the kids a couple of years ago, uh, before the pandemic and, um, Yeah. And then we were watching a documentary about the bells afterwards. It was really neat. It's uh, I, so I was lucky enough to go to Lucerne for a little bit. And I have to say, I still remember Switzerland, Lucerne in particular as the cleanest place I've ever, (laughs) ever been to. It's like immaculate, like the cleanest. So anyways, 
I think it's time we all go back to Switzerland. <laughs> is what it Agreed. sounds like. <laughs> um, all right. If you had a quiet moment, because I'm guessing you're fairly busy from what I can gather, but in the quiet moments, where does your mind wander to? Ooh, that's a really good question. You know, right now my mind water wanders a lot to my daughter's generation, um, and to, you know, how they're learning right now, because, you know, I shared with you that she's just turned four. So she's in preschool Mm -hmm. and I see such a rapid change to career pathing and opportunities for this generation that are, you know, away from the, the typical, um, you know, design of what we all kind of were raised with and grew up with. Like you go up, you go to school, you go to college, you get a corporate job and you do it for many, many decades. And then maybe, you you know, you switch jobs a few times and, and then you retire. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are so many different ways now to earn a living and to take your passions and monetize that and turn that into a way where you can kind of have this pursuit of life that's combined with what you love and how you earn and how you exist. And I think it's so exciting. And so (laughs) in my quiet moments, I think about this, I think about how she's learning and, you know, what we can do to make sure she understands that paying attention to her passions and discovering what those are is going to be probably the most important thing in setting up a life of joy and Mm -hmm. feeling like she's thriving. And so, yeah, that's on my mind a lot these days. That's a big, (laughs) that's a big, heavy thing to put on your mind, but it's true as a parent. I mean, I I can say for myself too, it is you, you pay attention to the things that you see your kids enjoying because that's something that they're going to do when they're older, you know, and it is, it's quite a journey. So um, I love that you shared that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. When was the last time that you did something for the first time? Oh my gosh. I feel like that's probably every day. I mean, that's great. I <laughs> that love that you said that. That is awesome. <laughs> I mean, isn't it true for yeah. everybody? Whether even it is trying like a new brand of something like a new cheese or, um, I mean, I can share some slightly criminal activity. Hopefully nobody who lives in the property <laughs> next door will hear this, but you know, there's a container out there. And so I thought, well, I've had this carpet for a long time. I need to get rid of it. And so sneaking out under the cover of darkness and throwing it in the trash <laughs> container and thinking, you know, I'm going to be arrested for this, but you know, that was a new thing for me. So I think I every, every day. I <laughs> and why not? That. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I have two questions because one is going to be about the Scrabble board. So like I said, there's this gigantic Scrabble board behind you. I am a professed Scrabble nerd. I am a word nerd. I own up to it. My family refuses to play Scrabble with me anymore. It's that bad. Um, what do you love about playing? Cause clearly it's, it's a thing for you. It must be. I, you know, I think games are just like such the perfect way to connect and have fun, whether it's over dinner or, you know, on a Sunday afternoon or, you know, whatever it looks like. I think games are just an underrated way and an under discussed way that people have so much fun and connect together. And so my husband knew this about me and he got me the Scrabble board about 10 years ago for my birthday. And, um, you know, we've had some pretty spicy, um, moments it's, it's, it's been put away, you know, (laughs) 
in moments. Um, but, but I think that's like the joy of it all, right. The thrill of like going through it and having the experience and falling on the floor, laughing until your belly hurts and, Mm -hmm. you know, who's cheating and who's making up words and, you know, who's bluffing to the point of like, can't even tell, you know, what's left or right. It's just, it's too much fun. So anyway, I strongly recommend everybody get a Scrabble board. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and go for it because madness will ensue. <laughs> uh, see, games and food, they yes. bring people together, don't they? And yeah, I have true. so many fond memories of sitting at the table with everybody around the table, just finishing a dinner and then playing a game afterwards mm-hmm. and just, yeah. The best times, yeah. right? Like those are always the yeah. best times. I agree. Yeah. That's um awesome. And I said I had two questions. So my other one, sorry, Grace, not to That's like. That's all right. But- no, it's okay. <laughs> So, you just take over. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do the Scrabble one. <laughs> um, so I'm curious where you're located and if you can share one of your favorite things to do where you are. Yep. I am in the northern side of Boston. Um, and I have moved just a lot for work. Um, you know, and largely because I've said yes to opportunities and, and my husband's the same way. So now we're we're in Boston. And, um, I think one of our favorite things to do here is to go to the beautiful seashores that are around the North shore. Um, and good Harbor beach is, is kind of our family favorite, Mm. um, because it's just, it's so idyllic and East coast and sweet. And neither one of us are from the East coast. And we just, we love having that experience out in nature and it's, it's just beautiful. I'm taking notes. We're coming in, in the summer. (laughs) There you go. Taking notes. Yes. I know I've never been. And so Grace, I'm going to live vicariously through you when you go. So what was the beach that you said? There? Good, Good Harbor Beach. Good Harbor Beach. Okay. Yeah. So I'll have to Lost get her. feedback. Love it. Yeah. This has been awesome. Thank it you. It has. You get one Thanks last so question, Grace. Oh, do I get another one? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with, oh, what's a guilty pleasure? Oh man. Chocolate. I mean, how much time have you got? I have many. Um, the chocolate, chocolate comes to mind first because I, well, I'm pretty sure that my daughter is literally genetically half Swiss chocolate um, because we had a chocolate shop in the, the, the first floor of the apartment that we lived in when I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And, and then when I was nursing her, I continued to eat the chocolate. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, she's, she's partially Swiss chocolate, but, um, I just think it's, it's like a miracle, whoever, you know, figured out that you could make something so absolutely delightful, um, Mm -hmm. is a miracle worker and, um, yeah. So chocolate, (laughs) that's a good one. I'm we're on board. (laughs) We're on board. Oh my gosh, Renee, we had so much fun chatting with you and just so thankful that you could share the wisdom behind everything that you've done and sharing with others along their own journey. So thank you so much for being here. Um, and then sharing thank, some of you too. Yeah, no, thank you for asking me um, to to be on and to talk about this. And I just so appreciate what you two are doing out in the world and amplifying women's voices. It's so important. And I'm very grateful to be a small part of this. So thank you for including me. Oh, oh. you're welcome. We look forward to cheering. We get to talk about food anyway. Yeah, that's very yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. No, and we'll be cheering for you along the way. We'll look yeah. for your next book as well. And, um, you know, for all our listeners who are, who are tuning in, 
go and find Renee's book, A Taste of Opportunity, learn more and share because that's what we do here in our community, right? Revolution Her is all about uplifting and empowering one another. And really, we all want to continue to climb that ladder and do well for each other. And we can only do that as we all support one another as well. So thank you for tuning in, Renee. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, For all you listeners, please feel free to, to rate, review and share this podcast episode. And we'll see you on the next one very soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you. Bye.